The childhood ruining pernicious authoritarian regime, orchestrated by none other than Satan himself, also known as Disney, has a strict morality clause for all of its employees. Now I know what you're thinking. The irony of this entity, this demonic entity, having a morality clause at all, is a notion so bizarre, it is laughable. I concur. Not only does this clause exist, they do not shy away from exercising judgment on those who violate this clause. Disney determines what actions constitute violation, and the way it is described, it is very open-ended. It would be far less troublesome to elucidate what would constitute acceptable behavior. Disney can't fire itself, but if it could, I am certain it would not violate any morals or by any means any code of human decency. You may be wondering what on earth does any of this have to do with music. Well, in the same way Disney's hypocrisies show in its judgment, many people's hypocrisies show when they're pining about music. This is Transgressive Modernity. I am currently reading The Occult Renaissance Church of Rome by Michael Hoffman. You may obtain this book and his other publications at revisionisthistory.org. Mr. Hoffman has thus far illuminated specific primary and secondary sources which not only expose the occult influence on the Church of Rome, but some sources help contribute to the occult influence and ultimate departure of the Church from its original principles and doctrines. I cannot say with any amount of certainty that any of the Catholics I know would agree with the implied and explicit assertion that the Church of Rome became heavily influenced and subverted by the occult. Unfortunately, many poor souls are persuaded to believe the Renaissance should be seen as unequivocally good. Many poor souls are still indifferent to the Vatican councils and contrivances alike, leaving people like me to question whether they understand the precedents which have been set and how they fare biblically. Perhaps the general beliefs held by most of the population are one of the intended outcomes of all the syncretism and subterfuge which compounded in the church. Part of the overarching deception is some people will dispute the basis of the existence of all the syncretism and subterfuge. I know I've spoken on gradualism before, so just to superficially reiterate, we must be very careful that we do not get to a point where we no longer know what things used to be. You cannot just assume the way you live is right. It is our responsibility to ask how we got here. Now, if you know how you got here and you understand that, it's one thing. It's a completely different thing to not know. You have to be able to prove the way you live is right. Have to ask questions like, how did we get here? Should we be here? If you don't ask these questions, you will deceive yourself into becoming another person who disputes facts. 
Facts should not be disputed. That is why our society is so jacked up. People want to dispute facts instead of living according to them. Living by facts. Some sort of misplaced sense of individuality. When in reality it's actually the opposite of individuality. So, Mr. Hoffman has thus far addressed the institutionalized usury, deification of monarchs, popes, and pontiffs, iconography, the idol worship, and so on and so on. And I know he mentioned music. And I'm certain he will have more sources related which support his thesis. Certainly there's plenty to choose from in the Renaissance era. Here's where I'm going with this. Many people I speak with have an incomplete understanding of modern music in juxtaposition to medieval, even old heads. What I hope to offer is a more complete understanding for anyone who lacks it. Many conservative Christians are very strict with what he or she believes is acceptable music. I use the term strict very loosely. Selective is the more accurate word I will use. To use the word strict would suggest these people are following something equating to a reference or a guideline in order to determine whether or not something is acceptable. This is often not the case. We know this. Simply basing the determination off of the overall sound to the ear or the subject, it's not necessarily measurable criteria. It is subjective. I argue with even a subjective approach, one should disqualify most of what is prevalent today. For the longest time, there was sacred music and secular music. Sacred music was holy music, written for God, sang in church. All other music was under the genre secular. You can ask any music student, anyone who studies music history, open any music history book, it will tell you this. Forgive me, I don't have specific dates I threw out all, I must have tossed all my his, uh, music history books and using the internet was a waste of time. So I don't have specific dates. But if you look in any music history book, it will tell you this. The earliest recording music that we have is Gregorian chants. This was sacred music. This was before the Renaissance, before the Romantic era, the Baroque, the Classical. Gregorian chants came a few hundred years after the death of Christ. If you had to guess which would be more acceptable, would you guess the music known to be a few hundred years removed from the beginning of Christ's church, or the music known to be a few thousand years removed from the beginning of Christ's church? A Gregorian chant sounds nothing like anything I hear in churches now. Feel free to, to YouTube one so you know what it sounds like. I mean, even the fundamentalist sects and the hardcore traditional churches I've seen who sing from the hymnal books and everything, they're still wrong by early church standards. Why are they wrong? Polyphony was forbidden for the longest time. Uh-oh, 
all all sacred music was monophonic. Polyphony was forbidden. And gradually, it became, I speak about gradualism again, slowly it, it became accepted, was not always accepted. Should it be accepted? It's a question you have to ask yourself. But again, uh, I mean, even, even after polyphony was accepted and, and deemed to be allowed in, in sacred music, only certain harmonies were permitted. Think about that. Ask yourself, are there any harmonies that you've got crossed off your list? I know apostolics do not discriminate harmonies. They use thirds, fourths, fifths. It don't matter. I have played this music. I have grown up on this music. They use every key. They use every time signature. This is not the way it was. All right? 4-4 four, four time was understood to be the only usable time signature. This is not the way it was. I played jazz music. Plenty of saints don't think too fondly of jazz music. However, many songs under the title of Congregational Songs, I could play the melody on a blues backing track and you could never tell the difference. One of them influenced the other. And for the purpose of this episode, it does not even matter which is which, because either way, it will prove my argument, which I have not made yet. And by the way, I know who influenced who, and who influenced the original before that, and before that. I know these things. Again, it's not important for what I'm going to point out. I point out the obvious hypocrisy of the perspective shared by many of the super-saved saints. You cannot disqualify any music as being unacceptable by God without acknowledging and understanding no music created after Gregorian chants is independent of secular influence and requires redemption and anointing by God. So don't look at me funny for playing a jazz song when you're at the cookout playing Stomp by Kirk Franklin or Smile, the beats of which were taken from rap songs, and I won't even go there because that's its own can of Satan propitiation. All I am affirming is we should get rid of this disposition of misplaced conscientiousness. Even Gregorian chants were not necessarily the earliest music used in the early church. It is just the earliest we have record of. That's all we know. We don't know exactly what the apostles were singing. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine they were singing Wade in the Water. <laughs> I can't imagine they, they were singing. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we know, we, we know they sung some of the Psalms and some of the scriptures and everything, but it's not like we have the sheet music to know what notes they were singing and how long. And that's okay. 
God created all things, good and bad. Every potential note we can sing, he created it. I believe if we put it in his hand, he is able to redeem it unto himself. There's no song that, that, that we make nowadays that is untainted, that has no secular influence. That is the reality. This is not to be used as an excuse to listen to anything or to play anything. Some people do that. It is to understand the love and the mercy of God. How many things do we do continually wrong? But he takes care of us anyways because our hearts are properly postured. We are never going to do everything right. And some people have a hard time. It's hard to explain this to some people because they think I'm saying, you know, just because we can't do everything right doesn't mean that means that we don't try to. That's not what I'm saying. But I mean, golly, some people won't even talk to me on a holiday. You can't do nothing on, on a holiday, really? Like, well, what are you doing? You're just not living anymore? What are you, Sabbathing? You, you're just sitting inside, not moving. And all you can do is pray. First of all, people who are talking to me like this, one, they're not doing that. Two, what does it matter if every other day of the week you're at the club doing whatever you want? What does it matter? If you're if for one holiday, you know what I'm saying? It's like, my brother, if, if you're going to take it that far, why don't you just not do anything any day? Because all the days of the week are named after idol gods. So let's not do anything any day of the week. I want you to stop using weekdays. Don't call it Monday. Call it the 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 second day. I don't... <laughs> I don't know. I thought I thought the Bible said not to forsake the gathering of ourselves together. I mean, I, they act like I mark off my calendar and I have some sort of ceremony on on a holiday. No, my brother, it's the 4th of July. I I didn't mark it off. It my job gave me this day off. So I'm going to take this day off and I'm going to chill. What are you going to do? Go into work and work? <laughs> protest like we live in a pagan society trust me i am good without any celebration of any holiday i don't even need any holidays but you know if i have the day off what are you going to do about it <sighs> there are seriously people who will argue me down and claim that by doing anything on a holiday you are worshiping the occult and playing a part in the enemy's agenda and you only incriminate yourself when you do that we live in a pagan society our our language itself propitiates pagan deities and you're going to tell me that by relaxing on a holiday as opposed to what else i really don't know Somehow, that supports the enemy's agenda. You're going to have a hard time with convincing me of that. This is Transgressive Modernity. Feel free to leave a comment. 
or you can email me at transgressivemodernity at gmail.com. I usually combine topics and make much longer episodes, however, my next two topics may be too deep to conflate. With that being said, thank you for joining me, and I'll see you next time. God bless you. I've inquired about your love through the years. I've often wondered why I'm here, finding consolation through my tears. My one desire is to be more author of my blessed destiny complete the work that you've begun in me till the day that i rest at your feet but until then i rest within your peace and bless my soul My heart will sing a song of gratitude. So bless my soul, please bless my soul, bless my soul, please bless my soul. I have come to far now. And behold, if you will bless my soul, bless my soul, please bless my soul, bless my soul, please bless my soul. I have come to
Oh 